Good morning, everyone. It is a real joy to be here this morning, um, to be together this morning, um, to come before God in worship and praise and thanksgiving and confession, to hear his word and to be upbuilt and encouraged by one another in fellowship. Sophie is going to bring us our reading. The reading is taken from Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 17, Moses and the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Egypt and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of the mystery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sophie. So we continue um, that series that we're in in the middle, <clears throat> in the middle of men of faith, um, looking at what the story of the men of the Bible um, can teach us for today. A legacy that they've left can speak into your lives in this moment uh, and for this moment. And so, so far we've looked at Noah, how he walked with God, um, how he was faithful, um, even over 120 years of building the ark, uh, all the ridiculing that he might have taken, he was faithful and obedient to what it is that God had for him. Last week we looked at Joseph, 
and how through the story of Joseph we hear about perseverance. The kind of a man of faith who was able to use the circumstances that he was placed in that God had given him to bring glory to his Lord and his master. <clears throat> Today we look at the story of Moses. And out of the story of Moses we're going to hear about courage. How Moses had courage in the face of adversity as well. Let's just pray as we look at Moses. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that your word is life-giving, that by your Holy Spirit you can inspire us, uh, direct us, lead us um, in this moment and for this moment. And so we pray right now that it's your word and not my words that speak deep into the very heart of our being. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Sophie, for reading that passage today. Um, and we got all the way through to near enough verse 17 before we got those uh, really big and awkward uh, nations and tribes. Um, so well done uh, for that bit. But if you want to read the whole story of Moses, um, you're reading um, quite a large swathe of the scriptures, actually. Because uh, Moses starts in Exodus, but he also falls into Deuteronomy. Um, and he is spattered through the rest of the scriptures here, there, and everywhere because he is a central character in the big story, the big meta-narrative of what it is that God has for us. Moses appears and reappears um, as lessons throughout history. He was a baby in a basket, wasn't he? He was hiding in the bulrushes, um, and he was picked up and taken um, into Egypt. As he was taken into that uh, Pharaoh's palace, um, he began to realize that he wasn't one of them, that his DNA was of a different nation, a different place. Um, and we read the story of how he grew uneasy uh, with knowing that he was not a part of the Egyptians um, to the point where he killed an Egyptian and then fled um, into the land of Midian, hiding from what might happen to him. And it's in the land of Midian that he meets um, a, a lovely lady um, and he stays with her. That often happens, doesn't it? Um, you meet a lovely lady and everything changes uh, around you. Um, he stayed with her in the land of Midian and he became a shepherd. And it's in the moment of being the shepherd and um, looking after his father-in-law Jethro's sheep that we encounter this story of the burning bush. And it's a story that maybe if you've been about church for any length of time or even into the recesses of a memory of a childhood, we've probably been told the story of Moses and the burning bush. And we also know that this story transitions and goes on whenever God calls him. Um, he goes back into Egypt and he rises up against Pharaoh and he says, you have to let God's people go. And we know the story of all of the plagues and so forth that happens. And so the story of Moses then moves out of Egypt as he releases God's people into the wilderness for 40 years. And as they traverse the wilderness for 40 years, um, then they eventually land in the land that is flowing with milk and honey, which is the promise that we finish with in verse 17 today. And so this story is interwoven through itself and through the fabric of the rest of the metanar, of the big story of who God is and what he has done for us. And this story of the burning bush that we're going to look at a bit today is, has some vital lessons for us to learn from. This story of Moses, this man of courage, has things that we want um, to learn from. But first day, I want you to imagine, picture the scene uh, Esther's already pictured the scene for us today as she's been walking her dogs um, on the beach very early this morning. 
Um, picture the scene that if you're walking um, in Lady Dixon or you're walking through Wallace Park or wherever it is that you normally go for your walk, or even you're walking down Kennedy Drive and a bush is on fire in front of you, what's your immediate thought? What the heck? Phone the fire brigade? But this bush says it was burning, but it was not consumed, is the way some translations put it. The bush was burning, but it was not consumed. In other words, it was ablaze, but it wasn't disappearing. We know that whenever we set wood on fire, it goes on fire, and eventually we can see the wood disappear because it will be burnt up. It was burning, but it was not consumed. And that's really key understanding to actually to who God is. As God shows himself to Moses, he is showing to Moses that he is someone who can light up the world, who can radiate heat, who can set us on fire, but who is not consumed. God cannot be consumed. And this is the point where Moses hears God's voice. Verse 4 says, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. So you're walking down Kennedy Drive or Skyline or wherever it is that you go for your walk, and this bush is on fire, but it's not, and then it starts talking to you. Like you might have phoned the fire brigade before, but who are you going to phone now whenever the bush is actually talking to you? And actually it's really important to begin to understand, to grapple with, to wrestle with this concept of what it means that God spoke to Moses. How do we hear God's voice? Because often whenever we read these stories in the Scriptures, we imagine that it's an absolutely booming voice from the heavens so that everyone that is around will hear that voice. You often hear preachers saying, you often hear people here in ministry saying that they have heard God speak to them and call them or commission them into a ministry. But what does that look like? If I was to ask a poll today, who has audibly, physically, tangibly heard God's voice speak to them so that other people in the same room could hear the same word? There probably won't be too many of us who will put our hands up. But I know, speaking from my experience, that there are certainly times whenever I feel I have heard God's voice so tangibly that it is almost as if it is spoken out into the room that I am sitting in. And so Moses hears God's voice. From the depths of his soul and his very being, he understands that God is speaking to him. And that something is shifting around him. He's no longer simply going to be a shepherd hiding in Midian from the Egyptians. Because this is where God commissions Moses for the task that he has for him. In verse 5 of chapter 3 it says, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Perizzites, I get it wrong, Hivites, aye, all those other nations that were in that same land. Um, so well done, Sophie. <laughs> That's all I can say. Um, but they, uh, And the city of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. Go, I am sending you, God says. I am commissioning you for a task, for a moment, for a thing that I need you to do. This is your moment, Moses. And maybe we don't feel that God has audibly spoken to us and said, this is your moment for you to go and release my people. But actually, God speaks to us in so many different ways that he has a purpose and a plan for each one of us. As we heard last week with the story of Joseph, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. So God has a plan and a purpose for you. He has a task for each one of us and only us as individuals uniquely can carry that task out. Moses' task just seems so much bigger than sometimes the task that God seems to give to us. So God commissions Moses. He has a purpose and a plan. We hear that over and over again as we read these stories of the men of faith. God has a purpose and a plan. And he has one for you as well. And the fact that he is, God says, take up your sandals, you're now standing on holy ground, means that there's something shifting. There's something different. That God's presence is so tangible in that place that it becomes holy. And I know from conversations with a few of you at least, that there are moments where you felt God's presence so tangible that the place, the ordinary, becomes the holy. And that's the moment that we crave. We crave that moment where God's presence is so tangible around us that it becomes the place of holiness, that the ordinary becomes the holy. Not because of what we can do, but because of what God is doing and because he is present. But God does something even more fundamentally significant in this story of the burning bush. And we see that um, as we read on through this passage. Um, Moses says to God, suppose I'd go over to those Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Here's Moses already making excuses. I, I, can, I can relate to Moses at that point. Uh, I can relate to Moses that if you feel God might be asking you to go and do something that seems far too big, onerous and way out there that you might start to think how can I get out of this Moses saying look if I go and do that somebody's going to say who the heck are you we remember you being here but you ran away so who sent me who sent you so Moses is trying to preempt it with an excuse but God simply responds to that in verse 14 by saying God said to Moses I am who I am and this is what you say to the Israelites I am has sent me to you. God reveals his personal name to Moses. I am. He doesn't say, say to the Egyptians, 
or say to the Israelites to convince them, I am the one and only true God. I am the Almighty. I am X, Y, and Z. God simply says, tell them, I am. Because he is everything. And he doesn't need any description after the I am. Because I am sums it all up. We phrase that today with the great I am, don't we? We don't even need the great I am in front of it. We do that for our own ways of kind of structuring sentences, I suppose. God simply says he is absolutely everything. And saying he is the I am, he's saying he is the one and only God. He is the one who is sovereign and in control. He is the one who has a purpose and a plan. And he is the one who has destined this plan to begin to release his people from slavery. Now, you remember last week, now we heard the story of Joseph. And Joseph brought his family, his father Jacob and the rest of his brothers and the whole nation of Israel into Egypt to save them from the famine. Well, then after a few generations, the Egyptians forgot who Joseph was. And the Israelite people became so many in number that they were scared that they were going to overtake the Egyptians. And so they enslaved them. And so this is where we now find that the, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. So they were brought into Egypt to save them, but now they're enslaved in Egypt, and now God has to release them from that to once again set his people free. Because in every circumstance, God does not leave us hanging. It might feel like it to you and to me in our time frames that God is slow and a little bit behind. But in his perfect timing, things work out. And sometimes we, in hindsight, can look back and say, I'm really glad I didn't get that, or that didn't happen at that time, because actually, this is a much better timing. So God commissions Moses, he reveals his personal name to Moses, and he equips Moses. We see that as we move off into the rest of this story in Exodus, especially in chapter 4 and and 5. We see that Moses is equipped for ministry. Moses now accepts that he's going to have to go to the Israelites. And so in chapter 4, we see that God gives him signs of the powers, the miracles, the wonders that he can now perform because it is God who has sent him. He puts his hand inside his cloak and brings it out and it's leprous. Puts it back in again and it's healed. He drops a staff on the ground and it turns into a snake and he picks it back up again. We know whenever he goes into Egypt, if you read the story, if he goes into Egypt, the magicians of the Egyptians are able to do some of these things themselves. And so God shows his power and his might through the plagues. But God equips Moses for ministry because God does not call those who are equipped. He equips those who are called. I think that's really important, actually, because sometimes we think, I can't do that because I don't know how to do that. I can't do that because somebody else is better at that than me. I can't do that because I'm not equipped or uh, I have the training to do that. And so we allow ourselves to be held back, even though we firmly know that God may have spoken us, called us, commissioned us, and asked us to go and do it. But God equips us 
whenever he calls us. And so that step of faith, by stepping out, by stepping forward into the unknown sometimes, God then equips us in those moments to enable us to do what it is he has called us to do. So what is he calling you to do? In your head, that could be a huge thing. In your head, that could be a minute thing. But he's calling you to do it. In your uniqueness. And one of the most significant parts of the story of Moses comes much later in the book of Exodus, chapter 33 where we see that God is present with Moses. So by this stage, the Israelites are released from Egypt. In chapter 30, by the time we get to 33, the Israelites are released from Egypt. They're wandering the wilderness. Moses has gone up Mount Sinai for a few days. He's got the Ten Commandments and he comes down with his face glowing. He's been in the presence of God. And what does he find? A golden calf. They've melted down all the jewellery that they took out of Egypt and they've made it into an idol to worship because Moses has went away for three days. They feel God's left them. They didn't have the patience or the perseverance to wait for the goodness that was to come. And so in chapter 33, Moses begins this conversation with God. God effectively says at the beginning of chapter 33, look Moses, I've, this is me paraphrasing it by the way, I've had enough. I'm not going to destroy them for not worshipping me, but I'm not going with you anymore. You can go on your own. Moses pleads and intercedes with God. He asks him for his presence, for his glory, and his power. Those are the three things you'll find in Exodus chapter 33. Moses says, I can't go another step without you, God. You commissioned me, you equipped me, you called me to do this, and I can't do this without you. So in the faith and the righteousness of Moses, God goes with his people once again. And it's in his presence that everything begins to change. The people are brought back to worship him. The nation of Israel begins to set itself up as a nation that is to be seen and to be feared by other people once again. Because God is present with his people. Have you ever asked for God's presence in that way? Interceded, tarried, whatever words you want to put on it, prolonged periods of seeking the presence of God in your life and the lives of those around you and the life of this church and this community. Because whenever God's people do that, if my people here are called by my name, the scriptures say, 
God says in Second Chronicles, if my people here call by my name will humble themselves, I will turn my face from their wicked ways and the floodgates of heaven will be opened. Moses shows courage. Courage to listen to God. Courage to trust God. Courage to follow God. There's one thing that we can try to take away from all that's just been said. It might be this. The story of Moses shows someone who is not perfect, who has his faults, but someone who consistently and constantly interacted with his God. How are you interacting with the great I am today? That's the hinge on everything else. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are present. Lord, we thank you that you speak today. And as you call us, you commission us. As you commission us, you equip us. And as you equip us, you send your presence with us. So Father God, as we interact with you in these moments, collectively as a body, as a church, but also individually as we spread out from this place into our homes and our streets once again. We pray that our interaction will be a deeply desired one with you. It will be one that we pour ourselves out seeking that you would come afresh and anew upon us, upon our homes, our streets, and our community, that your glory might be displayed in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And let's finish with a benediction. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.